Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast. I'm Paul White. It's the 28th day of June, and we are in the first, or I'm sorry, the sixth chapter of Paul's first letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Specifically, we are in the 15th verse today, and today we want to look at a moment where the author, the Apostle Paul, takes a moment in the Old Testament, kind of dipping back into his immense knowledge of Old Testament scripture. And that's impressive considering he didn't have the kind of copies of it you and I have. And takes one of those little obscure, probably forgotten moments and inserts it into Jesus, redeems it, restores it, gives it new life. In fact, now 2,000 years later, we are still calling Jesus what Paul calls Jesus in 1 Timothy 6, though by all indications he's the first one to do it that way. And maybe his Jewish brethren of that day would have read it and thought, oh, that shouldn't be done. You shouldn't take something that didn't refer to Jesus and make it refer to Jesus. I don't know. I don't know how they felt about it. I know I think it's pretty impressive. Let's read the text. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, which he will manifest in his own time, he who is the blessed and only potentate, the king of kings, and Lord of Lords. Now, Jesus Christ as potentate is not a phrase that is taken off. (laughs) The word potentate is not a word we use too much. It's a sovereign. It's a king. Paul's really using these synonyms in this text, kind of the way we go, oh, he's Prince of Peace. He's Lily of the Valley. You know, whatever. We might string together three or four. Paul's doing that right here. Potentate didn't take off. I don't know anyone that walks around calling Jesus the potentate. (laughs) But king of kings. Now that one, that one's got some legs. And if you read it in, say, the New King James Version that likes to put capital letters on proper, on words that could be taken as proper nouns in reference to God or Jesus, then you get capital K on the first king lowercase k on the second king, king of kings, big king over all the other kings. And then you get the same thing on Lord of Lords, capital L on the first Lord, lowercase l on the second Lord, making Jesus both king above all natural kings and Lord above all natural lords. The phrase Lord, by the way, would was not spiritual, Um, as much as it was a title of nobility. A lord was a ruler. And so to be the lord over lords is to be the ruler over rulers. To be the king of kings is to be the highest ranking king in a pantheon of kings. It's possible that the writers would have had a spiritual connotation behind that. That God, Jesus, is the king in a spiritual hierarchy of kings. Um, We don't know for sure if that's what they meant, but we do know that they put Jesus, through this statement, Paul's putting Jesus as the upper echelon. He's at the very top, the king of kings, the lord of lords. Now, let's just, before we dig into where Paul grabs this, let's put this in its context We're keeping our confession, which is our identity, the same as Jesus' confession. He kept his confession before Pontius Pilate. 
and we keep his commandment without spot and blameless, we keep that confession. That's what we don't try to mess up. We don't let it become blameworthy or spotted until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. Interesting thing is we often put this at the end of time, like Jesus coming back, yet when 2 Timothy opens, Paul puts the appearing in the past. In 2 Timothy 1.10, it's been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean he doesn't put an appearing in the future. It just seems to mean that this phrase appearing doesn't always mean they're talking eschatological end of the world, end of end of even an end of their world. It could just mean that they're talking about as Christ makes an appearance, which he manifests in his own time, not our own time. And then he gives him a title, blessed and only potentate, king of kings, lord of lords. King of kings appears in an obscure little part in the book of Ezekiel. Now, Paul would have had access to the scrolls of what we would call the Old Testament, but he didn't carry them around. It's not as if you could roll up large ancient parchment texts and put them in a satchel and carry them with you. Paul probably had snippets, things that had been copied by scribes, maybe even copied by himself. He was highly educated. But it's doubtful that he carried entire copies of these Old Testament texts. But he had obviously read Ezekiel 26, a proclamation against Tyre, in which God speaks of Nebuchadnezzar this way. Ezekiel 26, 7, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring against Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, king of kings, with horses, with chariots, with horsemen, and an army, with many people. That phrase, king of kings, uh, is, is quite an interesting phrase because when we hear it, we think almost entirely of Jesus. Well, let's not say almost. Let's say we think entirely of Jesus. Um, but the Old Testament thought of Nebuchadnezzar. Let me give you another one. Daniel chapter 2, verse 37. Daniel says this was the interpretation of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. You, O king, are a king of kings. For God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. Verse 47, the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. I think Paul took those famous king of kings statements from Ezekiel. He took it from Daniel 2, and he borrowed Nebuchadnezzar's repeating it back to Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the Lord of kings, and Paul got creative. And he makes up a new phrase in 1 Timothy 6.15. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. His Jewish audience would have remembered Nebuchadnezzar and the handiwork of God in him as a natural King of kings. Now here's Jesus, a supernatural King of kings, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. That's that 16th verse, that Christ is the one who lives on forever. You and I don't have immortality in this natural life, by the way. We're going to die in the natural. Christ dwells in an 
unapproachable light. That's a flashback into the Old Testament as well. Whom no man has seen or can see, at least not in natural eyes. We see God through supernatural eyes in the image that we get from Jesus. Tomorrow is the 29th day of June. We will finish this chapter tomorrow, and then the essay will be on the 30th. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.